All right, welcome back to the Storm Tracker podcast. I'm Marcus Benjamin. He's Frank Tucker. And we're representing, of course, Miami.Rivals.com, CanesCounty.com, the Crib, South Florida. And also we have our affiliates, 305 Sports, New Era Prep, so on and so on. Uh, so, yeah, a high school football week is in the books, albeit it, it was week zero. And a lot of these games did not count. Most of them did not count. Um, but I think we saw a lot from some of the great players of South Florida. And I'm, gonna... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on one sec. My dog is. Hold on. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Stop that shit. Sorry about that, bro. No, it's all good. It's all good. I should uh, start over. Yeah. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Storm Tracker podcast. I'm Marcus Benjamin. He's Frank Tucker, and we are going to talk about a variety of topics. But we're going to dive into high school football, the Miami commits, the Miami targets, as well as go into you know some fall camp stuff. Um, Mario Cristobal. Uh, had a lot to say about a lot of different guys this week. And then uh, we can also touch on this whole stadium talk, this whole new stadium uh, that John Ruiz uh, and company are are looking to uh, have over there at uh, Tropical Park. Uh, but first, I uh, do. Uh, and then, of course, I just want to shout out the Crib South Florida, of course. Frank runs that. And then, uh, of course, uh, 305 Sports and um Others like New Era Prep are all contributors uh, to the site. So did want to touch on the Miami commits over the weekend and kind of what they did. We saw Robbie Washington as well as his uh, uh, brother, Robbie Washington, of course, for Miami Palmetto in action. Uh, we saw Nathaniel Joseph as well as uh, Ruben Bain, a Miami target. And, of course, we saw J.J. and JoJo, Jeremiah Smith, and Josiah uh, Trader in action this week. But I actually kind of want to start with with a guy that's from South Florida who's actually, you know, may or may not still be a, a, a target. And that's that's Brandon Ennis. Brandon Ennis went up there to uh, Georgia uh, with American Heritage to play Lounge, and he had uh, a, a, an amazing game. And... I know, yeah, he, he's he's committed to Ohio State, and people watching this are probably like, why is he talking about Ohio State commit? But he is a South Florida kid, and from what I hear, he's still on the radar for, for the hurricane. So so we are going to continue to talk about it probably until until uh, he officially signs with, you know, with the Buckeyes or whoever. So that was the performance for me that kind of jumped out amongst – all of them. Uh, there were some other great performances as well from, from Jamari Ford out of Miami Northwestern, scored three touchdowns, took a punt back for a touchdown as well. Um, but the Miami commits in particular that, that did ball out was Robbie Washington. Robbie Washington had an outstanding game, uh, took a kickback for a touchdown. You were there, Frank. Um, just kind of give me your thoughts on, 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 the Washington Twins and and uh, the Chaminade targets as well. Yeah, for Palmetto, 
the passing game it has gotten better since last year, but the amount of targets Robbie Washington gets at this moment probably aren't up to the standard that he probably deserves, right? In high school, that kid is a 10 to 12 target type kid on, on, a, on another team. Uh, and Palmetto is a very good squad. They got, you know, a number of power five players on the roster. They got Willis McGahee, uh son. They have Jacory Barney, who's a 2024 four-star kid. They have Derek Bowler, who's a three-star that's targeted by a number of power five programs. So he really stood out on limited touches. Again, Shaman Amadani takes kick return back after a really nice play from Jeremiah from Jeremiah uh, Smith and Josiah Trader. So it, it was like uh, it was like three plays back to back to back where we saw Miami targets and commits uh, doing something on a big time stage. And then against Cardinal Gibbons, we we obviously saw him mush a defensive back to the ground and race about fifty five yards for a touchdown. For me, the most eye opening thing with Robbie was the speed. From last year, you know, I think he's gotten a lot better. I just think he's gotten a lot better as a receiver. He's he's become a more complete football player. He's completely acclimated to the South Florida area, uh, seeing that he was at, in Tennessee before that. The kid is special. Uh, it, there's just really no way to, to to go around that. And then talking to him after the game, you, you just sense a higher level of maturity from the kid uh, as he's growing into that role as an ambassador of that 2023 class. He's one of those those key players, and he's continuously rising up uh, recruiting rankings uh, as he goes towards early signing day where he'll, he'll be, he will eventually be a Miami Hurricane. I'm excited to see what he does as both an outside and inside threat for the Miami Hurricanes to the next level. He did talk about them mostly seeing him as a slot receiver um, when he does get to Miami, but I think – with him and Ray Ray in the fold, in the slots, you know, I, I think you got two guys that could potentially replace X and Keyshawn Smith whenever that time does come. Yeah, uh, the highlight that pretty much everyone saw was was exciting. I mean, Robbie's just an exciting player. He's one of those electric players from South Florida. I think besides Ray Ray himself and Brandon Ennis, those are the probably the most electrifying players and you could argue argue in the state and the country for all three. Robbie is a guy that jumps out on when you watch his tape. It's like it's just like wow, it, it just amazes you. Um, just his 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 speed, his change of direction, his quickness, and a, as you mentioned, um, at he can he can stiff arm you as well. So so yeah, I mean he's he's just an amazing talent for the Miami Hurricanes to have, and he reaffirmed that he is committed uh, to the Hurricanes uh, this week. I mean, there was some smoke about, uh, you know, him not not liking the situation um, at Miami, but it seems like that has been resolved, um, probably as a result of our reporting. <laughs> um, and now everything seems, um, you know, like, you know, flowers and dandelions over there with, with the Washington uh, Twins and and Miami, so now you mentioned Ray Ray as well. I was I was at the game where Nathaniel Joseph was in action against Miramar. Now this game was a snooze fest. It, it was it was boring. It was it was just not fun to watch at all. Uh, it was zero zero pretty much throughout the entire contest until the end, last minute of the game. 
uh, Nathaniel Henry, uh, used to play for Central, now at Miramar, scored. And it, it was it was underwhelming performance from from Nathaniel Joseph, but it, it's not like it was his fault or anything. He just doesn't really have a lot of chemistry with the new quarterback there. Uh, now that, uh, you know, uh, Hezekiah is not there anymore, he, he's going to have to really kind of teach teach the new young quarterback there um, how to find him. And when he did get the ball, of course, he was electric. And uh, a couple of plays got called back on penalties. And he just wasn't utilized enough, especially in the red zone. Uh, there was there's many a times where Edison was in the red zone and they just didn't go to him. They didn't even target uh, Joseph. They were trying to use him as mo- mostly a decoy. And they were getting the ball to Brandon Love a lot. Uh, he, he got a lot of targets in the game and he uh, showed that he is another one of those good 2024 receivers which is an absolutely loaded class from South Florida. But um, Joseph was still in, in very good spirits at, at, after the end of the game. Um, still very, obviously very high on Miami and very confident with his decision to uh, decommit from Clemson and now commit uh, to Miami. He kind of started the wave of commitments uh, here in the summer. Uh, he really set it off for Canes County as well. Because uh, as soon as like we became live and he kind of started with his commitment, maybe a couple of days before. And then all of a sudden we have so many commits that was that was happening in the month of month of July. So Miami's got two explosive slot receivers for for this 2023 class. Uh, the question really is, is who's going to be that other receiver? Who's going to be the more the wide receiver one on the outside uh, to add to the class? Uh, Joseph did say that he's, you know, still kind of actively recruiting and he was disappointed that Will Fowles wasn't, wasn't uh, added to the class, but um, I think they could use another receiver to this class, but um, can't go wrong with, with Robbie and, um, and Nathaniel Joseph. Yeah. I, I, I think that they're going to add at least one five-star receiver to this to this class, whether that's Jurion Dickey, whether that's Brandon Ennis, uh, or whether that's a Carnell Tate, that's another name to watch. Um, the South Florida, the South Florida Express connection is a real thing, right? And and you know we're we're starting to see South Florida Express, you know, build that relationship with Miami. We're, we're seeing Ricky Williams, uh, who's the general manager for South Florida Express, spend some time at practices. Um, starting to spend some time with Coach Cristobal on a personal level, somebody that he's known from his time uh, at Alabama and FIU. So uh, that that is an important it's an important relationship that has to continuously be built as they are one of the the top uh, programs in the country. They just won a national title at OT seven uh, back in June. So Mario Cristobal sees that value, and just in the twenty twenty three class, if you're able to grab a Mark Fletcher. Uh, a Brandon Ennis and uh, a Carnell Tate potentially on top of Ray Ray and whatever's in 2024, which is JJ and Jojo and kids like that. You're, you're kind of doing what Ohio state was trying to do right. And early in, you know, early in the, in the year. And I think Mario realizes, and we're going to touch on this a little bit later that there's, there's a gap in talent 
at the University of Miami. And, and to bridge that gap, you have to get the elite kids in South Florida and throughout the state of Florida. And that includes Brandon Ennis's, and that includes Ray Ray Joseph's, and that includes Robbie Washington's and Mark Fletcher's. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to how this class closes. I know, you know, we, we're at 17 right now, 17 commitments, and, and we haven't really seen that same flow of commitments as we did in, in July and into beginning of August. Uh, but I think that there's going to be a, a second second wave uh, here towards uh, maybe the middle of the year to the end of the season, especially if they win 10, 11 games. If you see Miami have on-field success, the level of Clemson and those type of programs, I think that a top five class is a lock, right? Now, obviously, you got to go out and do that. The, we we got to get over the hump of, of losing to the Virginias and the Dukes and, and and the Pitts. But if you win those games, you're supposed to win, right? Say you only lose the Texas A&M and the Clemson game, you're in a position to grab almost any kid that you want because yeah. now you're starting to see the change that everybody was talking about, not just in recruiting, but in development of the kids and on-field play. Speaking of that, I mean w- – how many losses do you think would potentially eliminate the chance of getting a five-star type of player like like we mentioned or like a Cormani, David Hicks, you know, Okanlola, um, those five-star guys? I mean, like like you said, potentially you can you, you'd be okay with the Hurricanes losing to Clemson and Texas A&M, two very tough environments that you're asking a, a team uh, to win it. But how many losses do you really kind of allow this team? Do you, I mean, do you allow them, like, uh, let's say they lose against, I don't know, North Carolina, right? I I personally think they can only lose two more games, possibly. Anything more than that, then they have no chance at a five-star, in my opinion. You know, I think that you get one mulligan. I think you get one mulligan. I think I think three losses. I think three losses in the regular season is the maximum you're going to be allowed, right? I think if you win, if you win every game except for those two, it's maybe one more loss. You got to win a bowl game. You have to win a bowl game at the minimum. But if you if you go through the regular season, get to a New Year's Six Bowl, and lose a New Year's Six Bowl in close fashion, I think you're still in play for pretty much anybody that you want, right? So. I think that it's a requirement that, that Miami has to win at least nine games this season, nine, 10. That gets you in the conversation with the five stars. You win 11 games. You're going to get, you're going to grab pretty much anybody that you want. I think Miami's aiming at playing 14 games this year, right? I think if you lose to Clemson twice, it, it hurts at, from a fan perspective, but you're not there, yet, right? We're not there in the trenches. That There's a reason that Miami's recruiting potentially seven offensive lineman in the 2023 class there is a reason that they're going after three to four five star four star defensive ends the level of talent at at in the trenches has not been there right there's a reason that miami's recruiting three linebackers right the talent at linebacker just has not been there right at corner i feel like we're up to par in in ways because of transfers I feel like at receiver, we do have a wealth of talent. I think that they are trying to continue to build out that talent with Ray Ray, Robbie, and potentially one or two more five stars. I think in the running back room, you're blue chip heavy. I think in the quarterback room, you're blue chip heavy. So I think they're on the right track, 
but you're not there yet. You're not with, you don't have Clemson's roster. You know, Clemson might've had some struggles last year. They had struggled to the point where they won double digit games, right? Miami struggling to the point where we're winning seven and eight. So to get to the point where you're Clemson where you're Alabama, where you're, you know, Georgia, you got to struggle to 10 wins. Right. And, and I think that this will be the first year that Miami has the potential potential to do just that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree with that. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to also talk about some of the other uh, players that were in action last week. Um, and then uh, we talked about Ruben Bain. Ruben Bain had had a monster game. Surprise, surprise against Palm Beach Lakes. I don't even understand why they even played that game, to be honest. Um it's just a weird game for uh, a national power to be playing. Um, when you saw the two, the, the the captains come out on the field, you just saw the difference in size. This is a team that that scored thirty five points in the first quarter, and you typically don't do a running clock in the first half. I think that's like the rules, but they were they had a running clock in the second quarter, so. I don't understand why you even play a game like that. Um, you know, if you're central, you know, I heard, I heard, you know, they, they were basically kind of, you know, begged to play that game, uh, to go up there in, in Palm, uh, to, to Palm beach. I mean, so of course, Ruben Bain, you know, has a monster game. He had a sack tactical loss. He had a monster first quarter <laughs> all in the first quarter. So, um, so yeah, all the starters were kind of chilling in, in, in the in the second half in this game, uh, but Ruben Bain still had glowing things to say about the Miami Hurricanes after the game. Our correspondent Najee uh, Tobias was there uh, talking to him and just kind of getting his take on the Hurricanes, and he's still very high on the Hurricanes. And I still think this is a, a, a two horse race uh, between Alabama and. Central. I mean, the fact that he said that he speaks to Nick Saban, the head coach, almost every day or every week, he said. I mean, that's pretty big. <laughs> I mean, uh, the fact I, I don't think Nick Saban is talking to every recruit or every prospect every week. You know, I, I just don't believe that uh, he, he comes off as a guy that is very, probably very selective on the on the prospects that he speaks on a week to week basis. And if he's taking that time to do that. With Reuben Bain, then of course that's going to, you know, make Reuben Bain feel like he is a priority. So as long as Miami continues to make Reuben Bain a priority, then I see Reuben Bain committing to the Hurricanes, especially since the Hurricanes is his dream school. Yeah, I, I listen. I I got a good feeling about Bain with Miami, but not not as great as I do like a Samson Okamola. Um, just because of the fact that, just like you said, Nick Saban is on top of this recruitment. Not even just him. If you look at Auburn and Oklahoma, those are two dark horses in this race that have formidable coaching staffs and a, and a schedule and resume uh, that is better than Miami as of recently. Brent Venables is a guy who came over from Clemson and is an Oklahoma guy. He is He is a guy who's coached there before. As defensive coordinator, there's a pride that he has in that program, and they're recruiting him hard. He had a solid visit there. Auburn, the same thing. And and if you see an Auburn take a Kiwan Jenkins or something along those lines as a as a late take, who's also his cousin and his starting quarterback, 
at Miami Central, that could be something that sways his recruitment as well. But I think Miami's in the driver's seat just because of the family connections that he has in the University of Miami, his coaching connections that he has at the University of Miami. And I, I think that a solid season for Miami where nine or 10 wins, he's one of those kids that ends up in the class if he sees that continued momentum. Uh, well, having Wesley Besaint, someone that he's very close with, commit to Miami at the beginning of the crystal ball era is important too. Because yeah. now you got somebody who's directly in the program. You know, Wayman Steed is is a little bit outside of his realm of, of presence. You know, obviously Central is a community school, so he has a relationship with the kid. But having Wesley Besaint in the program, potentially getting early success at the linebacker position where we don't have a lot of depth, not a lot of talent, that could be a big factor in having Ruben Bain potentially ending up in this class. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll keep it going with Miami Central. They play IMG Academy uh, this week. IMG blew the doors off of Venice uh, last week. Um, the IMG is is a machine, and the machine just kind of reloads every year. This team, to me, better than last year's team, uh, just from a talent uh, standpoint in, in, in my perspective. And um, they, you know, made easy work uh, of Venice. A uh, and Venice is a defending state champion. Jared Gibson, arguably or maybe not so arguably, the the best running back of the 2024 class, um, went off for two 50 yard runs, um, I believe, with his first two carries, and when you watch the tape, it's, it's that, that offensive line is, is, is moving people, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's just moving uh, the D line and uh, back and, and Jared Gibson, is just, you know, he's out there, you know, making coffee and making breakfast and, you know, and, and then running for touchdowns. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's, it's interesting. It was interesting to watch to see how, dominant they were now I had no doubt that they were going to be Venice but just how particularly dominant they were makes this next upcoming game just that more interesting so now we're actually going to see a Ruben Bain lined up against a Francis Mauagoa which is going to be another interesting matchup just like the last one was with uh Miami target Damon Wilson was matched up with uh you know big Mauagoa so that's going to be an interesting matchup uh there's going to be some interesting matchups as far as with receivers and cornerbacks, uh, as far as Central's receivers matching up with IMG quarterback cornerbacks. So that's going to be very interesting to, to see as well. And and if the linebackers like like uh, EJ Marcelin can can keep up with a, I mean I know he's a young linebacker, but can he keep up with a with a Jared Gibson? Um, so. It's definitely one of the more interesting matchups of the weekend. We'll get into some other ones, but what are your thoughts on that game? IMG versus Miami Central. Yeah, I, I think that I think that this is one of the top matchups around the country for the 2022 season. You look at Miami Central, they are in a position to potentially shock IMG at the beginning of the year. I'm not going out on a limb right now to predict a victory, but it sounds like it though. It, I'm close. I'm close because <laughs> I think the one thing that Miami Central has uh, that's an advantage is there's a team chemistry that is already in place. 
And when you play IMG this early in the season, that's the best time to catch him, right? Ruben Bain is, in my opinion, the best defensive end in the country. So having him against the Malagoa, that is as as that's the best matchup that you're going to get anywhere uh, in, in the USA. And then to, when they added Stan Quan Clark on top of having EJ Marcelin, that makes that second level of defense fast enough, athletic enough, skilled enough to match up with a Jared Gibson, who's a 4-3, 4-4 type running back. The one thing I have a question with with IMG is the quarterback position. Right? They have Ryan Downs, who's a 2025 kid. Um, they did bring in another transfer as a 2024 prospect. I, I question if they're going to be able to get the ball to Carnell Tate and Winston Watkins and that that group of receivers that they have on a consistent basis uh, with the type of defense that Coach Jube Joseph is going to be running. They're going to be bringing a lot of pressure on, on 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 this on this group of quarterbacks, right? And I don't think that Central is going to allow them to run the ball down their throat the same way that Venice did. Venice is a really solid team, headlined by Damon Wilson, but they're not the same team that they were last year when they won the 8A state championship. So we're going to see, I think, they, these two teams match up really well. I think Central has a group of running backs uh, that nobody's going to be able to get tired. You know, they're going to give each guy, you know, eight to ten carries. They're going to try to control the clock. Uh, Lights out is one of the most accurate quarterbacks uh, in all of the country. We saw that at OT7 in June and him being a division one quarterback with a plethora of offensive skill position talent like Lamar Seymour who we didn't get to see against Palm Beach Lakes Wayne McCoy who scored his first central for his first touchdown for Miami Central last week Corey Washington who took yet another punt return back and then you have Kateris Hicks who is a power five target um, on the low end level and then you know the offensive line has been playing together for a long time they're not as nearly as formidable as that IMG group. But here in South Florida, we see them as one of the top offensive line units in the area. Yeah, this 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 game has um, all the makings of a great one. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who's going to win, but I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna predict on this one because I don't want people to come back and be like, yeah, look, Marcus was wrong. Um, I, I'm more mad about being wrong than happy about being right <laughs> you know so i'm just going to predict that it's a good game so hopefully it is uh either way uh i would be i'd be uh pleasantly surprised if central like blew them out <laughs> uh no chance that's not happening that's, that's <laughs> the one scenario that would totally blow my mind uh every every other one wouldn't so much um so We'll see. We'll see what happens there. That game is Friday night at IMG, and another Miami team that is traveling up to that area is Northwestern is uh, taking on Venice, and Venice wants to redeem themselves. Uh, Northwestern went up to Orlando Jones last week and really represented for the crib, and and um, you know you know beat up on Jones I think it was 42 to 24 ended up being the score Jamari Ford like I said had a huge game uh Tiger looked pretty efficient out there from what I saw with the highlights so Northwestern is you know they're Northwestern I mean they probably are not the best team out of South Florida but you take them out of South Florida and they could probably beat every team in Florida (laughs) you know so uh they're they're that good aside from IMG 
uh, in my opinion. So um, it'll be another matchup where we'll see what Damon Wilson does again. Uh, he, he's a guy that's highly recruited, and he's one of those guys that Miami is potentially looking at. But you really kind of want to see him shine in this game um, just from a recruiting standpoint, standpoint if Miami indeed wants to take this kid. So will he or will he not? Which That's really going to be uh, the question uh, in this game. Are we going to see Damon Wilson really kind of impose his will in this game? And um, I'm guessing probably not because Northwestern kind of plays a quick game uh, with the offense, and they don't really kind of allow you to pin your ears back and, and really uh, – um, you know, get to the quarterback. Uh, Tiger gets gets it out of his hand pretty quickly uh, with with you know short short passes, um, and and they're going to get the ball to Jamari Ford, and and he is the X factor that kind of keeps you off of off of uh, off balance. So, uh, your your opinion on that game and how that's going to turn out? Northwestern is trying to redeem themselves from last year's performance against Venice, where they scored over 50 points on them. Uh, I think right. this this year, Northwestern's in a better position to take this victory. Uh, last year, you know, a lot of people made a big deal about the the amount of points that Venice scored, but Northwestern also put up 35. Tiger Tiger's going to do what Tiger does on, on a weekly basis. And I think with Jamari Ford uh, running behind a much better offensive line this year, we saw on Rivals that we posted – you know, run, we saw a video of that offensive line where it looked like they were about 6'3", 300 pounds across the board, which is a difference that than we've seen from Northwestern over the last couple of years, really. So I think giving Tiger more time, giving Jamari Ford some lanes as a smaller back, adding Adam Moore as a tight end yeah. slot type threat, that, that's going to make this offense just even that much better. Uh, and then on, you know, on defense, they got Todrick Bruton, uh, who's a division one pass rusher, who I think is going to cause some problems for Venice. And we're going to see Elliot Washington is, is a big time prospect for Venice as well. I think that that's going to be the main focus for the Northwestern defense. We know that they play a brash style of football where it's going to be a lot of cover one, a lot of cover zero. They're going to be in your face. And I think we're going to see uh, a power five matchup of Raekwon Atkins against Elliott Washington on a pretty consistent basis. I like Northwestern in this game, South Florida bias, sure. But I also think that Northwestern, yeah. So I, I think Northwestern's kind of on a, on a run to prove themselves in, in a few different ways this year. After the performances last year against Venice and the running clock against Central, this is the redemption year for Northwestern. And that 2M uh, classification uh, is, is going to be fun to watch. And I think this is one of those, those first uh, stepping stone games for Northwestern as they buy for the opportunity to get back in the state championship conversation. Well, besides uh, those two matchups over there on the West Coast of Florida, we'll have some big-time matchups here in Broward County. Uh, it's basically Broward County against the world. And it's just crazy, the concept in itself, that a county has so many good teams that can match up against the, wor- the world's best. Um, it, it's, it's almost like kind of like soccer where you could have the all-stars from the MLS play one good team, 
from Europe and and likely that Europe team is going to win. Um, Broward County, County being the Europe. <laughs> so it's, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all turns out, like what the final record of the weekend will be. Uh, and there's a lot of pride on the line for, for, for the county and for South Florida, for Florida. It's just, it's a very interesting week and weekend that this will be just to kind of see how it turns out. We've got Western of, of, of the Brown County teams. We've got Western, we've got Strahan, we've got Dillard, Cardinal Gibbons. Um, and we also have uh, American Heritage, St. Thomas and Chaminade. Uh, definitely the best of the best when it comes to the state. I mean, those are clearly to me, the best teams in the County. And you could argue those are the best teams in the, uh, at, at least a few of those teams are, are the best in the state. So out of all the matchups, what, which one are you most excited about? I think there's two of them. I think that Heritage Los Alamitos game, Los Alamitos is led by Malachi Nelson, uh, Makai yeah. Lennon. Uh, so I, I think that's a headlining matchup, especially for ESPN in this game. Uh, we, you know, we're going to be seeing, we're going to be seeing that matchup on big, on, on a big time uh, network. So, you know, watching that game live on TV for the fans is going to be uh, kind of a, a foreshadow of what college football is going to be looking like over the next few years. Chaminade against St. Uh, St. John's, that's going to be the best matchup of the weekend, I think, because those are two top 12 teams in the country. Uh, you know, St. John's is one of the best teams in Maryland. I think they have to play a national schedule because they've been removed from state play. Uh, just due to having so much talent, they are the IMG of Maryland. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Shaman Madonna, who we talk about as potentially the best team in South Florida, not just Broward County. That's going to be the the final game of that Saturday stretch of three big-time matchups at St. Thomas Aquinas. I think that it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I think that Bullet is going to have to be a key in that game. We didn't see much of him uh, in that Cardinal Gibbons uh, jamboree. Had one carry for 22 yards. Um, so Davion Gauss, this is going to be the breakout moment of the year for him to start it out. And then I think we're going to see a lot of JJ and JoJo against a group of defensive backs that are probably going to be solid, but not to the level um, that is going to be needed to stop those two monsters on the outside. And then if you do focus all your energy on those two guys, you got Edwin Joseph in the slot. You also have you know, Kyle Washington, a 2025 kid that we might be talking about in a couple of years. And then speedy Dwayne Thomas, who's going to be playing as a running back wide receiver, a guy that had over 1,200 yards of total offense last year. I'm excited to see Sean and I finally kick it off this season because this is one of the most anticipated teams we have talked about in some time. Um, and I think that they're going to be in national championship conversation if they can run through that schedule. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to say for me what what game I'm I'm most excited about. Um, but I would agree. I, I'm 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 as far as the South Florida teams, I am most excited to see. Um, there's probably there's three for me. It's really Chaminade, Heritage, just to kind of see them in action live again, and then uh, seeing Dillard, um, just to kind of see them against. Uh, a, a pretty good opponent from from outside. Um, is those those three for me are going to be 
the ones I'm most excited about. And, um, you know, of course, uh, plenty of Miami targets in all of these games that are going to be played. Chaminade, we already know, JoJo, JJ, Zaquan Patterson, um, Chris Ewald, um, Davion Gauss, as you mentioned. Um, you know, for Heritage, we got Brandon Ennis, Damari Brown. In that game, St. Thomas will have Chance Robinson uh, playing there, as well as maybe uh, as well as Conrad Hussey uh, as well. And we also on that day we'll have Nathaniel Joseph. They're going to be playing Cedar Grove. They're they're traveling to Georgia, I believe that that team's in Georgia's uh, Cedar Grove. So we'll see what they do there. On that's also on Saturday night. Um, Jones is playing Coco, which is going to be interesting to see if uh, they kind of bounce back and, uh, as far as Malik Bryant, if he's able to kind of bounce back uh, with his team against Coco, who, you know, was very close to winning a state championship last year over, over Cardinal Gibbons. And yeah, those are really kind of the, the, the best matchups here. Uh, and then Columbus plays Benedictine. Um, we'll see how Columbus looks. Um, they had some there, – there was some interesting news that came out today. I don't know if you kind of heard this. I did. <laughs> you know, I we, did. Didn't, we didn't even get a chance to talk about it, so you might as well just kind of talk about this uh, live here. But um, your boy, I heard, uh, Adrian Posse is – you know, got, I heard this could be a rumor. I don't know. But this is the rumor that I heard came out today is that uh, Adrian Posse got beat out by my boy, Alberto Mendoza, and he won the starting job, and now Adrian Posse is likely going to be at Killian. Um, so interesting news for a player that just committed to Auburn. And, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Adrian Posse as a quarterback. And if that news is true, then I'm not totally surprised because I like Albert uh, Mendoza. As a quarterback, I saw him at the hotbed All-American game. He was, he was, you know, he's solid. He's kind of walking in the footsteps of his brother over there um, at Columbus. So, so now he, you know, potentially to go to potentially will go to Killian. Like I said, these these are all rumors. But your thoughts, real quick, on that? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I, you heard, you hear some rumors. Um, from what I've heard, uh, there was some financial issues that were going on at Columbus, um, and that was that's potentially the reason that Adrian was leaving. I didn't I didn't necessarily hear anything about the competition. It could be true, could not be. Um, you know, I I didn't get a chance to talk to Coach Dunn or anything like that. So I, you know, I don't want to speculate on it too much. I still think Adrian Posse is an extremely talented quarterback. I think um, I don't know about Killian um, just because they have. Um, A.J. Smith, who's a 2024 quarterback already in the fold there, um, that they like. So I think that, you know, whether he ends up at, you know, another power, I don't think it's going to be a private school just because of financial restraints. Um, but I think, you know, if he ends up somewhere where there's, you know, a, a big-time receiver or a big-time, you know, supporting cast around him with a solid coaching staff, I think that his talent could come to fruition. Right, his potential could come to fruition. I think we could see him, you know, really step up to be that top ten quarterback um, that he's currently ranked. So I, I, I've, I've seen flashes of it in person. Uh, I think you know he's been in some tough situations in the past couple of years, but I think the next couple of years are going to be 
better for Adrian Posse going forward. And I think we're going to see an Auburn caliber quarterback um, eventually come to light. Okay. All right. We'll see. Well, we will see. <laughs> um, but that very interesting news that came out. Anyways, uh, we'll move on from, well, actually just one more thing. Robbie will be also in action on Thursday night, taking on Homestead at Tropical Park. Big I, game. Yeah. I'll, I'll be out at that game. Um, the thing about South Day is like, they kind of rotate over the years. It, it seems like they rotate as to which team is the best team. And Columbus is always kind of usually there, uh, but it's kind of a rotation of Palmetto, South Dade, um, Killian, Southridge, and Southridge. Exactly. There's kind of a rotation of who is kind of the top dog in South in in that Southern Dade part of South Florida. And this this game here is pretty much besides Columbus is is pretty much the top two uh, teams uh, in in South Dade. So I'm very interested to to, to see. Uh, you know, what happens there. Of course, Homestead's got, you know, a really good running back in Isaac Brown. Um, uh, they, they've they got a loaded squad. And um, interested to see just what Robbie and Bobby uh, do in that particular game. That's coming up on Thursday night. And uh, Killian and Booker T are also playing on that same night as well. I don't know if uh, Posse will be there already. I doubt it. But uh, we'll see what happens there. Booker T looked, looked great this weekend, too. Uh, my guy uh, Fish told me he looked at the tape and he was like, "Wow, he was he was blown away about um, uh, with uh, with Booker T and uh, they got some guys. Uh, of course, you know we we both love Gerald Modest, twenty twenty four running back, um, and they've got they've got a good they they seem like they're going to be fully back. Maybe not this year, but next year, I feel like Booker T is going to be fully back and they're going to be right there with the you know, Northwesterns and the, and the, and the uh, centrals of the world as far as, um, you know, in that area. So that's it on the high school football gridiron. Let's, let's go to Mario Cristobal's comments this week. You know, he spoke on the Joe Rose show, 560 uh, WQAM, and he named a lot of players that were showing up in camp. That's not something that, you know, many coaches do or Cristobal hasn't really done that at all. Uh, during the press conferences for fall camp, but it was just interesting the names that he did mention during during this interview uh, with Joe Rose. He mentioned players like DJ Ivy um, and Malik Curtis. Uh, I, I mean, haven't heard his name basically all camp, and and um, Coach Cristobal named him as as one of the players that have been kind of standing out. Uh, he did mention Al Blades as well. Uh, you saw Al Blades today during the press conference. And he also mentioned, uh, you know, Kinchins and, and Williams, the Williams brothers, um, playing possibly all at the same time. He also mentioned Brashard Smith as one of those receivers that are finally stepping up. It's like we all, we all kind of know that X, Xavier Restrepo and, and Keyshawn Smith will likely get a lot of playing time at wide receiver, but we haven't really heard that third or fourth wide receiver really kind of jump out to really, uh, you know, see if they're going to get any playing time. And we finally heard that this week for um, that Rashard Smith, uh, maybe a surprise to some is getting, is likely to get playing time. But the question is, is it at running back or is that receiver? 
uh, because you alluded to last week that Brashard Smith may be that option. And then, of course, you know, we saw him in high school. We saw him play at running back. We saw him play in the Wildcat for, for Miami Palmetto. So he's definitely a versatile, versatile uh, player. So just just your com- your uh, comments on, you know, just what Coach Cristobal said and, and, and the players that he said uh, that were, were standing out to him. Yeah, what stood out to me about the comments was Brashard Smith. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week, uh, his versatility. And I think that with Don Chaney going down for a little bit, Trevante Citizen being injured in the first scrimmage, this is going to open up opportunities for Brashad to get on the field. We, we see him filled out this year. He is he is probably one of the bigger running backs, you know, if, if he's in that room. And obviously there's an explosive skill set that he has. We've seen it time and time again with chunk plays during his time at Miami Palmetto. We saw flashes of it last year as a freshman. I think that Miami right now doesn't have a C.J. Verdell type running back on the roster uh, the traditional running backs on the roster. And I think Mario Cristobal likes the idea of having multiple backs. I think Josh Gaddis likes the idea of having multiple backs. And right now there really isn't that receiving back on the roster. Uh, you got Parrish who has the ability to do it. You got Rooster. Yeah, that has the, he has the ability to do it, but we haven't seen any guys that were receivers with running back ability, step into that potential role. So mm-hmm. I think that he could be that guy that's a receiving back. And kind of let Parrish and Knighton just kind of focus on being a running back, right? And this offense is probably designed to run close to 85-plus plays a game. When you got that many plays happening, you have to have three to four running backs on the roster. Right now, Miami is just at three healthy running backs. And I think we could see a little bit of Thad Franklin coming in as that power guy. But you're going to need another explosive player when you're going to be running a a, – an offense that's going to be high tempo. It's going to be, let's get the ball in the back's hands. We saw how much uh, Josh Gaddis ran the ball at Michigan. And then we talk about Kevin Smith. He had three running backs with over 500 yards just last year at Ole Miss. And we know the offense he comes from under Lane Kiffin. So I love the idea of having Brashard Smith step in as one of those complimentary pieces in the backfield while also potentially filling a role as one of those slot guys and four wide receiver sets on offense because we really haven't seen too many guys step up outside of Xavier Restrepo and Keyshawn Smith. We've seen flashes from Morello Brinson, but the Frank Ladson experiment really doesn't look like it's it's working out. Uh, Colby Young is going to have to take some time to maybe acclimate to this level of football. And we're just not seeing Michael Redding be that guy that was a four high four end high four high end four star prospect coming out of IMG Academy. So I think that there's an opportunity there for Burchard Smith to be potentially the breakout player of the Miami offense this year. And these comments just kind of solidify that. I also like the idea and everybody talks about this probably on a daily basis when talking about the hurricanes of having the three safeties on the field at one time. And I think the first scrimmage, was a little bit of foreshadowing of that potentially happening. James Williams playing a more versatile role, kind of similar to what he did at American Heritage, where he was in the box a little bit, covering tight ends, putting his hands on slot receivers, just kind of going all over the place, playing a more of a freelance role than he is as a cover two guy over the top of the defense. 
I like the idea of, of having an extra six foot five, 220 pound body that's extremely athletic in the slot as an overhang defender while having two ball hawks over the top. I mean, we know what Avante Williams can do. We know what Cam Kinchins can do when the ball is in the air. And we know what James Williams can do in regards to his football intelligence and just finding finding a way to make big-time plays. And I think moving him a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, not on a permanent basis, but giving him the opportunity to be on the field in an expanded role is going to give him an opportunity to have an even bigger year. Yeah, definitely. Some other names that Cristobal named was uh, a bunch of names on the defensive line. And before I get into the names that he named, it, it just – for me, it seems like this line has potential to be really special. And it seems like, opposed to diff, uh, years of the past, that this D-line could probably still sustain injuries. Like, if they if they get in, if a couple of guys get injured, I don't think there's going to be a significant drop-off in, in talent uh, with, with this rotation of guys that Miami's going to have. He started with Elijah Roberts saying that he's finally healthy. Jabari Ishmael, that's not a name that we've kind of mentioned a lot. Uh, the kid out of Columbus, Jake Lichtenstein, we've talked about him being a potential guy um, in the rotation as far as the D tackles are concerned. Antonio Moultrie is one of those transfers, another one of those transfers that are that are brought in that are that is going to you know get into that rotation. And he also said something about Alan Hay, our guy from Chaminade, who, you know, we were just kind of wondering if, like, hey, is he going to get in the rotation at deep tackle? Because he, you know, when we when I saw him at, at Chaminade, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself, is that he was dominant. You know, the kid kid is just, he's really athletic, really nimble uh, for a guy his, his size. And you know, I'm really glad to hear that he is really kind of stepping up in camp and, uh, Chris Ball said that he's made tremendous progress, which, you know, which is high praise coming from the head guy. And then, of course, Nigel Lee Kelly, you know, we, we've talked about him and his potential, um, like probably has the, the highest ceiling of all the, the defensive linemen currently on the roster because he was, you know, just at Dillard last season. And he's already, you know, making a lot of headway already. And then he also mentioned Cyrus Moss and Thomas Davis uh, out of Lounge. So when you hear all of those names, and that's not really mentioning, you know, the projected starters of Jafari Harvey and and possibly maybe Harrison Hunt at that other D tackle position, or Daryl Jackson, or um, Mitchell Agude, without mentioning those guys, and then you name like this long list. You have potential to be an elite defensive line this season, and that's exciting. That's exciting for for Hurricanes fans to to kind of know that you have a a a very and most of these kids are young. You know, most of these kids, you know, have got got ton of eligibility left. I mean, some of them some of them don't. You know, like you know Mitchell Ogude is likely going to be a one year guy. Harvey's likely uh, going to be gone. Uh, by this next season, um, but 
a lot of these guys are, are going to be here for a while, like Osiris Moss, Thomas, uh, Thomas Davis, Nigel Lee Kelly, Elijah Roberts, uh, Jabari Ishmael. All, all these players are going to be there for a while. Alan Hay. I mean, they're, 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 they're going to develop with this type of coaching staff. So, and then we got, you know, more monsters coming, you know, in the 2023 class and, and the future. So the future of this D-line just, just looks really broken. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And we've heard rumors that they're going to be three deep at every position along the defensive line. We're even seeing Leonard Taylor rep it out with the second team defensive defensive tackles. We've we've heard rumors that, you know, Daryl Jackson is stepping up as that top defense tackle on the roster. And people have called him a man child. He's, yeah. he's a guy that's still a sophomore. He's the yeah. same year as Leonard Taylor. So you have potentially two elite defensive tackles going forward. Elijah Roberts was a standout in that first scrimmage. From what I heard, he was all over the field. He was making plays in the backfield, giving Rooster and those running backs a tough time. Well, also putting a lot of pressure on the quarterbacks. We've seen that from him for, during his time at Columbus. He's, he's got the ability to play the three. He can jump on the outside as well. I think he's going to be a rotational piece that's going to be really important this upcoming season. I think that only one guy has true 10 sack potential that season. That's Jafari Harvey, but there's going to be a lot of important roles that are going to come out of this defensive line guy. We haven't really even mentioned that just came back from injury as well was Jordan Miller. He's going to be that big body one technique that we're going to need at times because, you know, Daryl Jackson and Leonard Taylor and Jake Lichtenstein and, and those guys all have similar body types around six foot four to six foot six around 295 to 305 pounds. But there are going to be times where you're going to need that trench bully, right? And I think Harrison Hunt is going to be one of those guys as well at like 310, 315 pounds. Jordan Miller, that big body that you're able to put in the middle of the defense. Or when we put a bear package out there or or, or a front that needs to just stop the run, those are going to, guys that are going to have to fill one, of those, one or two of those roles. And I think that's part of the reason that we really haven't had a ton of success at linebacker as well was we never gave our linebackers a chance – to get off blocks. I mean, they have, you know, guards are immediately getting to our backers. I think that's going to change this season, despite the amount of pressure that coach Steele is putting um, on quarterbacks and and, and offensive backfields on a consistent basis. We're seeing that similar emphasis on pressures that Manny Diaz had, but a more sound defensive front than we did before. And I think tackling is going to be big as well. That's something that we're starting to see. You know, a lot of times we would see Nesta Silvera get into the backfield, maybe not make the play, right? We would yeah. see guys, you know, other than our first round draft picks, especially last season, get to the quarterback, maybe not make a play. That's part of the reason we only had our, our leading sack. I had five and a half sacks last year. So I think we're going to see a drastic improvement in play. I think that's thanks to an, an, an injection of talent from the transfer portal. And I think going forward, we're going to start to see the trenches especially on the defensive line, be a focal point for recruiting classes. It's part of the reason that we're talking about three to four blue chip defensive ends in the 2023 class. Yeah. Uh, Coach Chris Ball did mention also in the article on KeynesCounty.com that the tackling has significantly improved. And that's actually something I'm actually not worried about at all because, yes, it was abysmal last season. I mean, 
I think you and I could probably, you know, maybe ha- had better form tackling it with with with, with something. I still got a little in me. I still got a little, <laughs> little. I still got a little ball in me, man. I, I bet you do. <laughs> bet you do, man. And um, the the coaching that we'll see, I think, in game is is something that is going to drastically improve. I, I think the in-game adjustments that we were probably crying and screaming about last season, I think that's going to drastically improve along with the tackling. I, I don't see that being an issue. When you got, you know, guys like Charlie Strong and Kevin Steele who are veterans in the game when it comes to coaching up, uh, tackling and defenders, I mean, uh, I don't see I don't see that being an issue. I, I think that's going to drastically improve and improve uh, the win count for the Hurricanes. A couple other players that Coach Cristobal mentioned was in the defensive backfield. Um, he did mention Al Blades and Tyreek Stevenson, Corey Couch, um, and a couple of surprises for some might be DJ Ivy and Malik Curtis, but DJ Ivy. Probably, I I believe he has the most starts of a Miami Hurricane defensive um, back. And, yeah, I know there were times last week, last year, where um, he just didn't get his head around. I, I think that's that, that was kind of the issue. He seems to always be in the right spot, just doesn't make that, that play just to, you know, stop a touchdown or a big catch, big gain, that type of thing. And I think with coaching, uh, now that you got Jamila Dye in there, who's coached, you know, some of the, you know, best uh, in college football as of late, I think that changes. And I think that is going to be the difference for, for, for DJ Ivy. DJ Ivy is your prototypical cornerback uh, when it comes to size is concerned. I mean, he's got the speed. He's always had the speed uh, since, you know, South Dade and, now he he's really kind of filled out size size wise, and all he needs is just maybe just some 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 technical things to uh, to help with his game. And I'm sure that's being driven home to him. And the uh, the way that Coach Cristobal described him, though, he said, "I can't speak highly enough of him." So that's pretty high praise coming from the head coach. So uh, I think it's um it's likely. It's very likely he'll get playing time, but the question is, is he really is he going to be the starter on the other side? Because I'm pretty much I'm pretty much going to pencil in Tyreek Stevenson is going to be one of the corners on the outside. But is DJ Ivy going to be that second corner when the depth chart comes out? I think it's coming out next week after you know the, this uh you know next scrimmage this weekend. Is it going to be DJ Ivy? Because he didn't mention Daryl Porter. Because we're, we're high on Daryl Porter, you and I are, and we're also high on Corey Couch. Um, so I'm thinking it's it's got to be, you know, somebody's going to get left out here, right? Or is or they're going to just constantly rotate DBs? That's not very common. I mean, rotating linebackers, rotating defensive line, that's pretty common on every football team, but defensive backs usually not rotated in and out like that. Um, So who's the odd man out here, Frank? Yeah, I think you Sharpie in Tyreek Stevenson and Takori Couch. Takori Couch at that 
that nickel corner spot, which isn't going to be on the field all the time. You're going to see times where we have those three safeties in the field and James Williams is going to be playing that overhang defender spot. But I think that Daryl Porter probably is taking a backseat to DJ Ivy right now. DJ Ivy has the advantage. He's 6'195 pounds. Yeah. He can run. He He's the prototypical defensive back, whether it's cornerback or safety. We've seen flashes of what he can do. We, he was a big-time prospect coming out of South Dade. He's been one of those guys we've been waiting for him for what is five years now to finally come to realize his talents and his potential. So I think that right now you can pencil him in as the starter. Uh, today at practice, he was running with the ones, and you can see that he was stepping up in, in individual drills. It was but Coach Adai has raved about Daryl Porter as well. He recruited him out of American Heritage. He he saw him as a building block defensive back for him at West Virginia. So him bringing him with him to University of Miami uh, after a year at Georgia, uh, I think is is also a telltale of what the staff sees out of Daryl Porter as well. I just think five ten hundred eighty five pounds. You got to play. You got to play lights out to be able to beat the guy who's a fifth-year guy in the program. And he also has had some success. We've had some failures, but you could also attribute that to potentially the previous coaching staff. It could, yeah. You could attribute that to the previous scheme, not getting enough pressure on the quarterback, not you know playing sound enough on in our zone concepts, right? I mean, Manny Diaz was notorious for running void zone concepts. Right where that that leaves defensive backs out to dry at times. So we could see that breakout year for DJ Ivy. I do think that there's going to be a semblance of a rotation between Ivy and Daryl Porter just because they're so close right now. Coach Adai has has talked about the skill set of Daryl Porter, and he's also talked about how he really got into the weight room and has gotten taller since coming out of high school. So I think that Miami is really strong at the top end of their cornerback group. Um, I actually wrote about it today, um, you know, in my in my preview article. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that it's a conversation probably through the first few games of the year. And I don't think we're going to get, get a true idea of who our number two corner is until we get into like week three against Texas A&M. Okay. That's fair. Uh, so this, I feel someone will be essentially left out. Um I could see I could see them rotating like a the nickel corner spot. I, I could see them rotating a guy at that spot with in, in different certain situations if they and Al like. Blades is gonna play too. Al Blades is gonna play at a number of different spots. So you're gonna see yeah. guys, right? I think the first two games the first two games are are, are, are cupcakes, right? They're yeah. you can't overlook anybody, but those are games that Miami should win by significant margins. Yeah, so you're yeah. going to see a rotation of guys in those first two games, and you're going to get an idea. Is DJ Ivy starting to turn his head around? Is, yeah, is, yeah. He, is he going to become that guy that, that is able to to get three or four, five interceptions this season opposite Tyreek Stevenson? Because we've seen Tyreek Stevenson play really well, but we know his role is not a ball hawk. He is a physical corner that will come up and tackle. He's going to get a lot of PBUs. But you need a guy who – who's going to go be that ball hawk on the other side because that guy's going to get tested, right? Yeah. Because Tyreek Stevenson is the known commodity. This guy was a starting cornerback at the University of Georgia as a freshman. So yeah. we know the talent is there. He was a five-blue-chip you know, blue chip level prospect. 
We know yeah. what he brings to the table. The other side is going to be tested consistently by what is probably going to be Max Johnson at Texas A&M. So I think that the first two weeks are going to be a kind of a growth period for the cornerbacks, and we're going to kind of see who takes that job by the horns and ends up being that cornerback too. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was going to mention about uh, Al Blades, and I think Al Blades is kind of this uh, Swiss Army knife type of player that can play, you know, essentially like a like a a third linebacker type of a type of spot if needed, and then also can be way back there at at, at, at safety as well. So it really says a lot to the depth of Miami at defensive back, and we're saying all this, and we didn't even mention Gilbert Frierson who's now listed as a defensive back, who shined in the spring, who, who also I think potentially could be, you know, in the rotation, especially in short yardage uh, situations. So they got a, they got a great problem here. I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember the last time they've had this kind of problem. They, they usually have other problems. <laughs> you know, uh, they usually have other problems that we don't like talking about as far as, you know, depth, is concerned. Uh, so just to see that they've got this amount of depth on both the D line and the defensive backfield, I mean, it, it's, it's it's definitely a step in the right direction uh, for the Miami Hurricanes. So the last thing I wanted to speak about before we kind of shut this down is this whole stadium talk, man. Uh, John Ruiz is is really adamant about. Uh, building a stadium over there at Tropical Park, and the renderings did come out uh, at late last night, and I'm not going to lie. So I'll, I'll let you know what my stance was before I saw the renderings. I feel like we don't need a stadium. The, the stadium is kind of it, – it's not, it's not of great importance to me when it comes to building a championship program, you already play at a world-class stadium that hosts the Super Bowl on uh, like every five years, the national championship every five years or so you play the orange bowl there. I mean, it, it's a world-class stadium as far as how the, the, the country and the world sees that stadium. And you're playing that as your home stadium. Now on the flip side of that, I don't kind of like that it's shared with the Miami Dolphins and the fact that you see all of this Miami Dolphin, uh, you know, memorabilia or whatnot, it makes you feel like you're not playing necessarily at home. It makes you feel like you're not, that you're playing in someone else's house, which you literally kind of are <laughs> playing in someone else's house. They just kind of change up the decorations when it's your game. Um, so that part of it, I kind of understand that. So that was my take before I saw the renderings. But when I see the renderings now, I'm just like, all of a sudden, the feeling of the Orange Bowl has come back to me. Like, oh, I remember how great the Orange Bowl used to be. I remember how it felt like this was like our house to kind of go into. I remember how it used to be a feared stadium or an, an intimidating atmosphere now the hard rock can be intimidating if it's packed <laughs> you know but when it's not it's not so much and you know for games like duke and and maybe georgia tech or something like that it, it's it's not going to be all the way full let's just let's just call it what it is 
but with with a game with with a stadium potentially like how what was you know put out last night and all over social media today it has potential to be just a stadium that is innovative like like it, it's a, it's a stadium that has potentially a, a roof that is transparent which i don't think there's any stadium in the country like that and, and for it to be retractable so you still get the the elements of, of south florida and then if it's it's if it's indeed a dome you get to protect it from the elements which we all know it rains a lot here and you get to get that sound inside and then you'll only have Miami hurricane uh, memorabilia inside. So you'll, you'll feel like, okay, so this is potentially Miami's home. So that those are the emotions that kind of were stirred up for me when I saw this. Now I do know, yeah, this stuff costs money like everything else. Is it going to cost, you know, taxpayers money or whatnot or is that whole deal and do you really need it is it really worth it when you already play at a world-class stadium i'm kind of you know on both sides but i'm more so now on building a stadium because of the feeling that it invoked in me you know just me being a, a guy who the first stadium that i ever went to to watch a football game was the orange bowl and it, it brought back those feelings for me as as a kid so, so yeah, so when I saw that stadium, I was like, wow, that's, it, it reminds me of that because when I go to hard rock, yeah, it's kind of a place of work now for me, <laughs> but it, it doesn't have that feel. It's definitely a pro stadium and it has a pro stadium feel. It doesn't have this college stadium feel and that stadium has potential to be that and that and it it has potential to have an environment like a real college football like environment so 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 i mean those are really kind of the thoughts that came up for me when i saw that you yeah so i mean i I was young when the orange bowl was uh was around and and i did go to some games at the stadium i remember being like five years old going going to a florida state miami game where miami was a real deal and it just being so damn hot <laughs> being, and then like those are my memories of it like just just like i you know i remember the bathrooms you know at the orange bowl that, yeah. those those will give you nightmares uh but i i think that the biggest impact of the stadium is you know i think recruiting wise it'll be big i think in regards to having a home it'll be big i think financially it's going to be huge for the university of miami we give so we have to put so much money into having a lease at at the Dolphins home, right? This completely changes things. Having uh, something that is closer to the school, right? Having something that is yours, right? It's where you can create revenue, right? Where this isn't just the stadium, right? They're trying to build a Miami Hurricanes park, right? Where it's track oriented. There's baseball, like we already have a baseball stadium, but you know, you have multiple sports that are encompassed into this, this athletic facility in a way, you know, acres and acres, two times the size of the, of, of the, of what is Dolphin, you know, uh, Dolphin Stadium, right? The, their area of land, that's going to be big, right? Somewhere where you can, you can call home and you can also 
make a little bit of money for a school that doesn't get any money from the state. We're one of the we're a private school, small private school. The alumni base is small, right? You got guys like John Ruiz that you know are gung ho about Miami, but we don't have the Texas, the Texas A and M, you know, pocketbook. We don't have the state, you know, pumping money into the school like University of Florida, Florida State. It's different over here. It's different over here. So I think that's going to be an important thing. And, and the Ruiz has also touched on that. So I'm excited at the opportunity uh, to potentially bring a Miami Hurricane Stadium back into the fold. That's one of the things that fans from other teams use against us on a consistent basis. You guys have to rent the stadium. Well, now we don't, you know, and I don't think this is something that's going to happen anytime soon. I think yeah. that there's probably going to be a political battle that goes sure. on for at least a year, potentially yeah. two years, because you've already seen in February, uh, the mayor of Miami already said Tropical Park is not for sale. And anything that goes on Tropical Park is going to come down to a vote. So that's going to have to be ironed out. And I think the Ruizes have the influence to be able to iron that out. But there's going to be a little bit of a legal battle in a way. Yeah. A legal battle in a way that, that stretches for at least a few years. And, and obviously it's going to take some time to build a stadium of that magnitude as sure. well. It, it looks like SoFi, SoFi Stadium-esque, right? Which is so, a beautiful stadium, yeah. It's a beautiful stadium. And, and I think Seven having liners. that, yeah, having, having that resource that you can bring recruits to, it's great bringing them to, to, you know, Dolphin Stadium right now, but I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's the same, you know? It's not. I mean, can, can you imagine just uh, that stadium and you see a, a statue of Howard Schnellenberger outside? You know, you see, you know, just uh, memorable of all, of all the national championships. Yeah, you see all the Hall of Famers, uh, pictures or whatnot, and statues of possibly, you know, Ed Reed and, and Benny Testaverde, Gina Toretto. Or Heisman, you bring the Ring of Honor back. Right. Bring the Ring of Honor back. Exactly. I mean, it's... I mean, I, I think it'll be just – you don't need it to bring Miami back. I want to make that point. You don't need, need that to bring Miami back. But it would help. <laughs> it would help to make people like myself whose heart broke when the Orange Bowl was tore down. I mean, I was actually at the last game, one of the worst moments of my life, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, we're not even going to talk about it, but like, yeah, it's just to to kind of revive, I guess, the feeling because a lot a lot of us older, I guess, um, Miami followers feel like part of the program died with the Orange Bowl, you know, because since the Orange Bowl went down. Uh, you know, it's kind of safe to say that the Miami Hurricanes been basically medi- mediocre. You know, they've been kind of middle of the middle of the pack since that happened. I mean, yeah, it, it even happened a little bit before it got tore down uh, because I think it was 2008 when when it officially got tore down, and I think Miami started its you know downfall like more around 2006 or so. Um, and they've been basically mediocre since then. I mean, yeah, you had that one year with, with, uh, Mark Richt where they, they got to 10 wins, but, but, um, I think it, it'll do a lot for the morale of the, of the program for the fans to feel like, okay, well, this feels like 
the 90s, the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And if you have that, I mean, the Orange Bowl didn't even have a lot of memorabilia in itself, you know, to be honest. And it, but this, it was a piece of memorabilia in its own right. I mean, oh, it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It was, it was the staple of Miami sports, basically, because uh, I think to this day, no other places had more Super Bowls at it. Um, and then, you know, the Miami Dolphins used to play there as well. They, you know, when they started their, 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 their franchise, it was at the Orange Bowl. So, um, and then there's so many Orange Bowl games that were played at that stadium as well. So, so yeah, I, I think it, it, it has, it has a chance to help revive the program. Obviously, Crystal Ball is doing that now, and we'll see what happens on the field in these next couple of years. But if you also couple that with a new stadium that you can call your own, then all of those elements combined, that's when you can say Miami is officially back. (laughs) But yeah. All right. So that will conclude the Storm Tracker podcast. Until the next episode.